Welcome to the Jolly Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Barrett. This podcast is for those who are interested in the conversation around equity, diversity, and inclusion. Each week, I'll be interviewing a guest who has something special to share or is actively part of building solutions in the space. Let's get started. All right. I am so excited this week. And I'm always excited, but I love when I get to meet new people. And I had the pleasure of meeting Sean at an equity and entrepreneurship event. And I'm so glad that she told me about what you all were doing and the wonderful things you all are bringing to the world. So I'm just excited for this conversation on multiple levels, which you'll learn about. But I'm so pleased to have ABL Obanjo and Sean Williams here with me to talk about just all of the things that go along with like clinical trials and research and all of those things. And I'm so glad to hear that Divergent CRO is on the move. So you all are going to hear all about them. But I want to just start by saying thank you for joining the Jolly Podcast. So this is exciting for me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. So I wanted to see if you all could maybe talk a little bit about your backgrounds and kind of your journey to get here. My name is Abiel. When we're talking about the background, it's for all three of us, actually, myself and my partners, which you've met Sean and Elizabeth is unable to be with us today. We found a common ground. It's like we stumbled upon the industry. It wasn't something that we were informed prior that existed. We all had different plans as it relates to going to college. You had your major. Someone wanted to become a medical doctor. Someone wanted to become a psychiatrist. Someone wanted to become a pro professor. And just the opportunity that came knocking when we learned, as for myself, I was introduced to this because my grandmother had Alzheimer's and I wanted to know what was being done at that time for the condition because she totally changed from who she was to someone different. She no longer recognized me. She actually thought I was her mate. So that captured my interest initially. And I started volunteering at my alma mater into the research facility. And, and then they, I learned from someone about the opportunity to actually work as a CTA, right? This is what we call clinical trial assistant. And from there, that actually provided the opportunity to move up the ranks working as a clinical research associate and working into the project management level. But this was not shared with me at all elsewhere. I had no idea. I know there's something called clinical research. I always thought it was a no-go area. So with the experience that I've gained so far, that has birthed something in me to want to close the gap of racial disparity in clinical research. We thrive in trying to educate more people within the African-American community and people of color as a whole that, hey, there's something else that you could do besides running straight to medical school 
as everyone may feel, or running to go and get your master's degree. But when, once you already have that bachelor's of science, any bachelor's of science, we are trying to bridge the gap here, give an opportunity for you to see what the research industry has to offer and see if something that interests you. And the idea has always been within me. But meeting my partners, Sean and Elizabeth, I believe they allowed us to give birth to Divergent CRO because we found that common ground that we all wanted to bring in the people of color, people of African-Americans, then going to the HBCU, doing outreach to educate them of the opportunities that are actually available to them if they are to look into the industry as well. So I love it. Yeah, I would like to tag on a little bit about that. I'll just give a little brief, short, short little story about myself. I wanted to be a pediatrician and did all the things that you are the steps to be a pediatrician. I, in high school, I was in the health science academy. Then I went into college. I majored as a biologist and I was ready. I, I thought I was prepared and working for the MCAT. So I was I graduated from the college and then went to another university, which was just an HBCU. And I'll I'll just say it was Howard. Okay. I was preparing for the MCATs. And they said, okay, part of preparing for the MCATs, we're gonna take you to the lab and everybody's gonna get a cadaver. And we'll work on understanding the human body. So excited, so excited. I was like, I'm finally I'm ready to go. So we get into the lab, they escort us as students. I go into the lab and I looked and they, they, they unveiled the cadaver and I passed out. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> and when they woke me up, I said, I can't do this. This, this is not for me. And I was a little bit distraught and, and just was like, I have worked so hard from high school to college with that focus. And so I came back home from Howard, got a job at a biotech and was doing some, putting up some medical records. And I saw a clinical research associate walk in and I just asked, Hey, what do you do? And she said, this is what I do. I said, what, what, what degree do you have to have? She said, I have to have a science degree. I said, what? I said, I've never heard of a clinical research associate. I've never heard of clinical research. And she said, yeah, that's what we do. So that's how I stumbled into it. And part of this when working with ABL and Elizabeth, we don't want that surprise for, for our community. We want them to know you have options. Yeah, that's fantastic. Wow. Well, and that's a lesson. Sometimes you, you learn like, well, maybe I need to take a little bit of a left instead of a right, right? Exactly. <laughs> so then how did this magical connection actually happen so that you all were able to create this company, Divergence CRO? Because, I mean, had you guys met before or where did you all meet? Well, for me, I met Elizabeth. Uh, she is like the spearhead for the for the whole company with her energy and who she is. I met her. She was my manager at a CRO. And just the way that she handled the clinical trials and but most importantly, the way she handled people. And I said to her, I said, you know what? I think we can go into business together. And she said, maybe we can. And so they had already been planning things. This is why I said I'm privileged to come in, though the idea has been there. 
It's not like how you conceive something and you need to birth it. And first I thought initially, individually, this is just an idea. Then you have people that you have common ground with and you're like, okay, this is something that needs to be birthed to reality. So I worked with her. I actually managed her and she saw my style of working, my morals, my ethical standards. She was like, yeah, the way you work. And like, I, I let the people I work with know that even though we're working, I still care about your life outside of work. That means we need to have work-life balance. Not all managers have that because she initially had a manager that didn't practice the same. So she come to me as like an outlier manager, if I could say, and I will help her with whatever she need, guide her, gave advice. I would say, don't do that. No, don't do that. Representation in this industry for us is really slim. And we want to keep as much of us that we have here right now. So please don't do that. So I'll give her guidelines and things like that. She just reached out and made the proposal. And I was like, wow, I've been thinking about this all along. And then after we came together, and honestly, if I may say, I, I'll say it's by divine arrangement. Because the union is so in sync. I mean, we don't do anything without praying. And, and there's someone that beats it into us, like, you need to pray before we start. <laughs> you need to pray when we finish. So I just love all that. It's just we are so at peace in one. Like, it's so together. I love it. That's fantastic. So so tell us about Divergent CRO and what it's, what what is it? And what is it, what type of organizations or people are you targeting Basically, we are uh, targeting pharmas, bio, biotechs, universities, device companies, any company that has clinical trials and would like are looking for a CRO to help manage their clinical trials. We have site monitoring component, data management, regulatory. So we have come together and ensured that we have quality to provide to the industry that they are whom these companies are running clinical trials. Now, one thing that we do have together for our standard standards is that we have we do it by ethical ethical leadership, transparency, and number one priority is patient safety. And which comes back to us ensuring that our community is getting those standards and helping to ensure that they are getting the correct information that's needed for them to make a decision in clinical trials. We are also looking to work with HBCUs and institutions that actually work it on research as well. When you think of Divergent CRO, who are we? We are the team that dare to be different. We've all worked in different farmers, CROs, or been involved in biotechs, and we've seen the operations. There are just some things that are, besides representations of who we are in the industry, there are some things that we would like to change, things that we would love to do differently. And when you see the name of our company, it speaks for itself. Divergent means dare to be different. We dare to be different. We dare to be the pace setters. We want to start something afresh and we want to be a force to be reckoned with because we want to change the narrative of our people 
people of color in the research industry. We want to educate more people, not just people working in the research industry, more like patients missing out on a futuristic uh, trial that could be beneficial to their health because of misinformation, misguided information, or lack of information thereof. Oh, and that's so important. And I, I think I was telling you all earlier that both my husband and my father passed away from cancer. And both of them were very pro-clinical trial. It was like, whatever clinical trial is out there, what what can I get into? Because not only did they did they feel like, hey, somebody may discover something, right? But they also felt like I wanna participate and be part of the solution in some form or fashion. So if they need my cells or whatever it is they need, I want to participate. But I know there's a lot of people, especially African-Americans, that are weary of clinical trials. When you think about like Henrietta Lacks or the Tuskegee experiment and those types of things, people get kind of like their their hairs on their back of their neck go up. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. And, And again, it's it's very important for us to change the narrative because we understand that that like as you mentioned the Tuskegee like the syphilis study that is part of what we are is to change that narrative standing up on ethical standards and transparency trust and mistrust is something that we need to get behind through more exposure the more we see more of of our people within the industry actually sharing the information. Like, let me give you an example. When COVID-19 happened, this is when (laughs) I realized a lot of people within my family that don't believe in vaccine. And like, I was actually on that trial. I was working. I have the information. I cannot just show you the data, but I see that it's promising. And I'm sharing to people like, hey, don't neglect this. People are really dying. Get vaccinated. I was part of the trial. I monitored the trial, like a CRA, clinical research associate. I was a clinical trial manager. I received promotion on the trial. So I saw the data. I saw everything. Like nothing is perfect, but a solution at the point that the world was facing something they didn't understand was better than nothing. This is what I was trying to bring to some of my family. So this is so close to home that a lot of our family members, the the time of realization, you realize, no, I cannot do clinical trial, but you see how you want them to live longer, but they're like, no, I'm not joining that trial. But it's a lot of things that have to do with lack of awareness. They're not aware of the importance of clinical trial anyway, that there are so many stages they, some people are misguided to think when you are in clinical trial that you are the first level of test. No, that is wrong. There are different phases. When it gets to the human that FDA is part of it, FDA has already been involved in that study to know that you have to present it to them for them to approve you to even start the trial. So they've seen the safety. We have something called a uh, suspected adverse reaction. Most of the time, there's never something that's said on there that, oh, the person is going to die. No, it's not there. 
They, they may have rash. They may have bumps. Those are the only suspected adverse reaction that they have at the different phases before it goes to trial. So we need to do more outreach to educate the people so that they can, they can have more awareness of clinical trials. I just wanted to say that there are several factors that affect our community. And of course, when you talk about lack of awareness, mistrust, but then we also want to talk about the language barriers. Now, it's not only when it has to do with the native language, let's say Spanish, or it's, it's not even that. It's language barriers when it comes to understanding what is the clinical trial? What is it saying to you? How when you read an informed consent, what does those things really mean? And when it comes to understanding that language barrier, how can we as a company uh, make that a easier process? for the community. And then we also wanted to look at when you're factoring into that, the access of the informa- access of information of the, of the health for the patient. Also the disparity, the health disparities that comes up with, now we do have oncology. Okay. So oncology right. affects everyone. We understand that, but there are some specific health disparities in each of, of the people of color's communities that we would like to also be a viable part of that and help the community understand what kind of clinical trials will specifically address their issues that they mostly deal with in their communities. Yeah, because you do hear, you hear a lot about oncology, but you don't hear about a lot of other clinical trials, nor how to even participate if there is an opportunity there. So because oncology, I think, receives a lot of a lot of attention because there's so much movement designated to oncology. Like you have the pink ribbon, all about that, right? Yeah. So you have that movement that brings a lot of attention. And I also believe a lot of resources are poured there too because of the rate that it affects so many people. But first we have to understand some are caused by maybe hereditary, right? Some as a result of what people are putting in their body. So we also need to educate ourselves that we need to make corrections as to what we are eating, which also leads to cultural competencies when they're creating these trials, because what a person of color has may be different from someone else. That's not a someone of color. So cultural competencies will affect the way the trials are designed because it needs to be sensitive to other people's culture. And when we're talking about why more people of color may not be involved in research, we need to look at their social economic status. Because if you have to work full time, if you don't have your own car and your their burdens. You don't have insurance, as I mentioned earlier. Maybe you cannot make it to the location where they're having the trial. You cannot drive there to keep the appointment. You thereby cannot be part of the trial. So some people, they are well educated on the trial, but their social economic factor is a limiting thing that stands as an hindrance for their participation. Well, and it's so interesting to me because when you all are talking about just bridging the gap, and I think Divergent CRO, I love the way you described it. It's like, we are, you dare to be different. And I'm sure there are a lot, you, you talked about lots of things you'd like to see changed, but it, are there specific things that you think you all will be able to bring that will impact the community 
in a way that, because it sounds like you all have, you want all of these connections with universities and organizations, not only to connect the trials and educate people, but also to maybe even mentor folks and, and recruit yes. them into yes. the, into the, the training. Yeah. So, so, so tell me a little bit about that and how, like, when you talk about training, what are, what does that look like? There are two parts to the training. Sean would go over the second, which is the Encore Oncology CRA. I would describe to you the We Breach the Gap training. This, the We Breach the Gap specifically is designed for African-Americans, people of color. Our targeted audience are HBCU specifically, which we already are in communication with many. We have practically listed all of them. We have our marketing team working with like different HBCUs. Maybe we are planning on setting up how you have events. They have maybe the, the time that they are doing their, what do you call the the events that they do at college this day. So I've been in a way for some time, but where you can get job a table. awareness. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> job awareness. We can work with the career area of the school, but we wanted to ha have a table set up where we can have presentations to the students and bring them opportunities. We even want to partner with the HBCU so that when their students are coming out, they can come and take a job with us within our company. It can be IT. It's going to be expanded beyond just working as a clinical research person. Even if you're not interested in that and you're still looking for a job and we have availability in the area of your study, we are able to plug you in. But the We Bridge the Gap is specifically interested in bringing those students that are in the fields of sciences or where going, even if you're going to medical fields, and you have your MD, you can still work as a medical director within research industry. There's a lot of things that people are not aware of that they think they only have to work in the hospitals. No, you can work as a medical director, medical writer. You can work as a, a pharmacovigilance. There are so many different roles based on what you have studied in the sciences that we can afford to bring to the table with the HBCU in order to bridge the gap and have a strong impact of representation of people of color in, in the industry. Fantastic. Let's pause for a moment. We'll be right back. Did you want to talk about the second part? Maybe you did such a good job. I was kind of mesmerized with <laughs> the whole concept of it. So, yeah. So there's Anka CRA and specifically training clinical research associates that are their second. They have two years experience in the industry. Then we can specifically train them to understand the nuances of oncology and how specifically is catered to clinical trials, oncology cl clinical trials. So we have the two programs and the one when you want to really have that niche because I did once, <clears throat> once I got into the industry, oncology because like you said your your father and your husband was affected by by cancer. I've had family members who've been affected by it, friends. I mean I don't know what we're drinking or eating but something is happening out there. So that that took me where I, I said I really wanted to have a hand in understanding and being a part of the clinical trials. So I've been in that 
that expertise for about two two decades now for a very long time. So, and I think that I would love to bring other people who are interested in cancer and give them a more specific training in it, so we can really do a good job and and help. I would like to make a pitch to those that are just hearing CRA, CRA. You may hear us say CRA a lot, and that's part of what we want to do in educated people. We have so many terminologies, but in the industry, there are acronyms like CRA, CTM, LTM. That's local trial manager. Like if you come into the industry, you have to understand the lingo because that's how we communicate. So we are doing like a video on YouTube that will be specific to the terms so that people can familiarize them. But since we're teaching to CRAs, Clinical Research Organization, let me tell you something. If you love to travel, this is a job for you. Okay. So travel that you are not paying for it. The flight is paid. The the hotel is paid. You have Prodivium for your meal. You get a rental car to go with it and you just work at that location, you you may have the privilege to visit the all the states in the U.S. if they are studied there and you're co-monitoring, or you can just be regionalized to a specific location. You can also travel internationally. I've been on trial that took me to Brazil, Dominican Republic, sometimes Hawaii. You can go anywhere that the study is available and there's no one to cover it. So if you love traveling, you would definitely would love this. And if you understand your work, it would become something that is passionate for you and you would not really feel like you're working. Because for me, I've always looked at it as being behind the scene, not being seen, but you are accomplishing a lot of things. For what we all did that went and worked on the COVID trial, it gave me so much joy, even though we have to put in so much late hours to get the biological licensing, to make sure that FDA could just put it out there. But being able to see that my old family, the old world was dependent on something that we were doing, it definitely gave some joy in my heart. And to be a part of that, just to be the 0.1%, a real tiny fraction, it still made me happy to be behind the same working for something that the old world was waiting for. And that's how you would feel when you become a CRA. So we encourage you to come through Divergent CRO and make an impact to the world. And that's, and for me, for in oncology, that's how I felt. So oncology, the, the main concept is patient safety and patient extending their life quality. So to see that patients, they're, they're told a certain amount of time, but then they go over that well amount and have a healthy, and, and it's healthy as they're, they're doing that. That's, that brings pleasure and, and, and happiness to my heart that, that we, that we're able to do the work, see the clinical trials working, the, the drug that they're using and, and, and it's helping, it's really helping people with cancer. And that's, that makes me feel good at the end of the day when I lay my head down on my pillow. So with all of this knowledge that you all are bringing, because I have to say, and I'm just going to diverge for a moment because I tell you, if I have to get one more COVID shot, like, <laughs> oh my gosh, like what is going on? So, so give me some background on this. Like now that we have this thing, I mean, I know people are like, 
get your COVID shot with your flu shot and all of that. Yeah, right. So <laughs> what I could say in that area is to be honest and clear, transparent, is that if initially people were to listen and did what they were supposed to do, I believe it wouldn't have become something that is normalized like the flu. A lot of people that didn't get vaccinated were enjoying the people that were vaccinated because some people were vaccinated and they wore their masks. And with that, they weren't spreading anything. Meanwhile, there are people that were not vaccinated. They were walking around. They, th those were the main ones not wearing their masks because they didn't care. They didn't care about jeopardizing the life of other people. This could have really been dealt with. No, I know it, the picture is still out there that COVID-19 is there, but what are you hearing about other countries that actually did the right thing? Are we hearing that numbers increase? No, there's a lot of narrative. No, they just want to make you wear masks and everybody look like they are just robots doing the same thing. No, it's it was for your safety. Like, have you ever heard that coronavirus, it's not new, but the strain that attacked us is something that just developed. When you don't understand something that is new, you have to attack it in a strange way. They just say, wear masks. So you don't get it. But people are like, no, nah, I don't need to wear masks. I'm not listening to these people. I'm just going to do whatever it is that I want. But how many people lost their lives? A lot of those that got on the TV saying bad stuff, they died. Look, oh no, that stuff is not real. Where are they now? It's just as simple as follow instructions. I used to have a professor. He would give you the easiest work. And he would write in bold. Whatever you do, follow my instruction. That's it. He can tell you type one page of nonsense. But if you don't follow the instruction, you will still fail it's this paper. It's just one page. But it will give specific. Come and see how many people get 50s, 20s, all because they are not followed and we're in college. They can't follow simple instruction. There's a reason why we are meant to honor or listen to the elders or the leaders that are set over us. We are supposed to listen to them. If they already made it there, whether you like it or not, that's what we have at the moment. And we have to, in order for the safety, sometimes you have to be selfless, not to be selfish, to consider other people. Mask, I was not wearing it for myself. I was also wearing it because I have family. Even when I travel, you will laugh at me. I was traveling where COVID started. I was still a CRA. So I wore a mask. I wore the outer glass. I was wearing something that looked like a hood. And everybody was looking at me weird. I was like, I got a two-year-old in the house. But I have also have to work. I'm doing this so this drug could come out so we could all have it. So we can have a solution. So I was traveling to the different clinics, making sure patient safety was being observed. And the data is accurate and things like that. So we were still doing that, but I was covering myself. I was making sure I was okay. They even gave you the old suit if you wanted to wear it. But I was like, I'm not going anywhere where they have contagious diseases or something. <laughs> so I would yeah. just do my mask and I'll be okay.
Wow. It's amazing that we we don't share a lot of these stories because to have you be right there on on the front line doing this stuff during the clinical trial, it's like, wow, this is amazing. You learn so much from people when you are able to just meet and talk to them. I think there is a benefit when you look like the people that are that don't trust what exactly. is happening. Representation. Yes. Representation is key. We must have representation. And and one thing that that made us to be in sync, all three of us, even the representation that we have, truly, is that you are sometimes afraid to go and reach out to people that looks like you, even in the industry, because you are skeptical. So this is how uh, Elizabeth and Sean was able to connect. Because again, it is rare to really find people that are really to, are able to give you information, even if they're of color. So this is how we have common ground. I'm willing to help to better the next person. First, especially if you're my brother or my sister, I'm, I'm like that for everybody, but I go greater lengths if you are my brother and my sister. I go extra for you and I'll try to make sure you are not going to be left behind. And this is what was evidenced in the dealing with Elizabeth. And then she was like, yeah, he gave me advice and all of these things. And I think that's just natural. It should be the natural thing for a human to do to yes. share information, yes. like information that you don't share will rot with you. It's going to die. And I believe by sharing something with you, I could also receive something from you, information. And information is the only thing that makes the successful person thrive. My father always says, it says, there is a man, they ask him, when do you know you will be successful. He said, when I was on that park bench, homeless, I knew what I wanted to do and I knew how I would get there. And that is the definition of success. Knowing where you're going and knowing exactly how you would get there. That is success. I love it. Wow, this is awesome. So then and I what the other thing I love about you guys as a as a team is even though you come together and you have this unity going on, you also have kind of diverse backgrounds in terms of what you've done and wh what your focuses are. And I know, Sean, you've done a lot in terms of just driving some clinical excellence and best practices. Do you want to highlight anything in specific? Because I think when you talked about just the language, there's so much significance in like when I was with my husband and they're telling him all this stuff and literally we went to, he literally decided to go out of state to do a trial. And we were kind of struggling with the fact that his doctors hadn't actually told him everything that was wrong with him in his file. Yes. And and so the, the, the people at this next place were like, okay, we need to like, let all of the things going on with you. But you don't know. Yeah. Yes. So, yes. so it's kind of weird to me that you'd have a doctor that wouldn't actually tell you, it's in your file, but you can't see that part. 
I'm glad you brought that up because I, I had experienced that December 22. I met a, a friend somewhere for, for the holidays, and unfortunately, her sister was passing. They just found out that she had cancer, and she was at stage four. Now, apparently, the sister did not know this. She, she just found out like she was they said well she was so healthy she was running around two weeks ago and then bam now she's here in hospital i said no 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 i said she you can't just be at stage four and you didn't know there wasn't anything going on there has to be some some steps that that happened and it led to this but she was going to the doctor they didn't detect it for whatever reason they couldn't find it and then now she's at stage four. So they were distraught. They, they couldn't understand. And so I said, okay, so I'll tell you from my perspective, say, don't get mad. I'm just letting they, I said, first of all, you asked for all her medical records. And second, family, call her son, do whatever you need to do, get together with her and give her the best experience she can have now because she's at a stage four, you don't know where she's at, and they're telling you to prolong bills. They're not telling you the truth. You see what I'm saying? They just, they want to extend it out till they get that last bill on you. And the family and her both have, in disappointment, everyone, she passes, and, and they've never had a chance to really tell her how much they loved her, because they're worried, talking to the doctor, what's going on, what's going on, and they're just prolonging the information. I hear that all the time in our communities. And then they get this bill, the person has passed away, and everybody is just shaken, distraught. They're they're time and time again, from oncology to other diseases that have been caught eventually at the end, but they always have been there. And the doctors know this but they choose not to give some of that information out. And then the question is why? That is the question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, why? The question is why? (laughs) Yes. So, but, so like I said, I'm not the guru and I don't have a medical degree. However, from my, from my just going through clinical trials and understanding when people talk to me, I said, well, based on these clinical trials and what I have seen, Spend all the time you can with that person. Love them. Tell them how much you love them and let them go at peace. Yeah. Yeah, it is. it is. I mean, my husband was diagnosed at stage four. And when we went back and we were trying to figure out, because it was like, how did this happen? Because he was, for the most part, in pretty good health. But there was a time where we thought he had the flu. And then they ended up finding it because his hemoglobin was like at eight. And and the doctor called and was like, you need to get to the hospital because it went down to like 5.6. And they were like, take him to the hospital right now. And I was like, okay, you know. But what's weird, it's just weird to me how you could continue to go to the doctor and unfortunately they it's a practice right they don't necessarily always know what they're looking for and so are there best practices and perspectives you all can provide just in terms of if people want to be part of a clinical trial like how do you how do they even start like what what does that even look like do doctors know about the clinical trials or do you have to 
find them somewhere else or the first approach is any primary care physician that that person had, like that particular patient. And also, that's the easiest way to bridge the trust initially, because if that's your family doctor, you're looking for remedy to whatever the case is. Usually when they suggest clinical trials is when they have said there is no medicine that is promising for this right now. My colleague or this company have a clinical trial going on for this specific, specific therapeutic area of your condition. Do you want me to reach out? That is a trust bridge because they know that uh, physician and they can trust that the suggestion may be accurate for them or the patient themselves can go to clinical trial. Clinicaltrials.gov, that is the government website to see clinical trial that are coming up or that for the future or anything that's happening right now, they are able to check there. And there's always advertised to for clinical trials that you can see probably sometimes when they go to regular hospitals. I remember when I used to go as a CRA to the VA, you would see, oh, do you have chronic pain? Join this clinical trial. <laughs> do you have this? Join this. You have to pay attention to some of the signs that you see at your medical doctor's office, they are offering clinical trial. They're just helping them to post flyers on the wall. If you read it to the bottom, you will see some of them is saying, join this trial. Yeah. Interesting. So then is it, and I know that some trials are paid and some aren't and all of that kind of stuff. So is there, I mean, you talked a lot about ethics and values and all of that kind of stuff. Are there things that come into play where maybe you you should get paid versus you're just in the trial to make sure that you're getting the information or how does that work? Well, some of the clinical trials um, that I've been aware of that they pay the patients to help offset some of their transportation meals or something that prep them for the trial that they do is they give them a stipend. That's what we call it, a stipend to help offset some of the costs for them to get there and participate in the, in the clinical trial. ABL, is there anything else? No. Like yeah. That's it's They are offer stipends. They are just regulation that guides that you may offer the patient stipend just to come in. Yeah. Okay. So then in terms of like, I mean, there. this seems like such an opportunity for young folks that are maybe early career or even mid or heck, even late. In terms of what kind of advice would you give to people that want to move into this area for their career? For me, I just like to say that ABL had touched on it. Think of the biotech the device companies, the pharmas, they are the same type of structure as a hospital. So if you, I'm just, I, when I will give talks to, talks to the kids in elementary schools and whatnot, I say that I am, I represent the nurse of biotech. I am a clinical research associate. And if I were to give it a name in the hospital, it would be a nurse. That's how I would say that, that, that analogy with it. And so if you want to be a doctor, you can be a medical monitor. If you want to be a pharmacist, you can be 
the in the pharmacovigilance. Pharmacovigilance. So every it parallels in from the hospital transfers into biotech. So there's anything that a person is looking as a career in the hospital and they may want to look at going into clinical research, I bet you, you can find a position for you with that same type of degree or knowledge that you have. Fantastic. So, so tell us a little bit about like, how do people get in contact with Divergence CRO? Where are you, where are you located? What's your website? Are you, are there things that you all can, can tell us about? Yeah, well, in terms of location, we are based out of Atlanta, Georgia for that. And then we have several social media links. We have, of course, you can go to divergencecro.com in order to contact us. You'll be able to see our contact information or there's a contact card that you can use. We have a LinkedIn page. You can go to, if you need the old link, https slash www.linkedin.com slash company slash CRO, or you can just search Divergent CRO. You should be able to see it. Divergent CRO is also on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube as well. So any one of those, it's a good way to see what we are currently doing. And our 800 number, if you have a pen with you, is 888-342-1447. That's our number to be reached. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, I love it. I am. I hope you guys will come back one day and have another conversation. We're going to get Elizabeth to come on as well. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> we would love the opportunity to come back, especially, I know maybe some people may reach out even to you with questions and we would love to come and address any questions that may come up as a follow-up because I believe that's yes. a lot of information and that is still just scratching the surface when it comes to clinical research. Yeah, absolutely. More to come, more to come. I'm just excited about what you all are doing. I'm glad that we can be part of educating people about not only the field, but kind of even as a, so I just really thank you so much for joining me for the conversation. I look forward to connect, keeping connected with you all and having you back and do feel free to let me know how I can help. So thank you so much. And I definitely feel more educated. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> We're glad. We're glad we're able to do that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for joining me on the Jolly Podcast. Please subscribe so you won't miss an episode. See you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>